as uh, Justin said, I'm at Hope Community Church in downtown Minneapolis, and uh, today uh, I'm going to talk a lot about sin, and uh, it, it may sound a little weird, but I, I really enjoy talking about sin. I feel like we have a poor perception of what sin is, so I want you to just take a moment right now and think about how would you define sin? Do you have a, a Bible verse that comes to mind? Do you have certain actions or thoughts that come to mind? What is it when you think about sin that comes to your mind? And so I hope to kind of unpack that a little bit here today, and we will talk a little bit about um, our partnership at Hope with Source and what we got to do this last week with them, which I was really excited to do. Uh, so uh, even though my, I don't know if you got the title of my message, but it's called The Work of Ministry, and all in all, the work of ministry, and I'll get to that at the end as well, it's all about figuring out what sin is and helping people with it. And so let's get to it. Uh, as the introduction mentioned, I was born in a small town in Wisconsin, and I heard one little clap for that. That's right there. Thank you. I am a Packer fan. But it's also officially baseball season. That's why I have my twins hat on today. So, but as I also mentioned in that bio, uh, I like summer, and I don't know why I live here in the winter, and so I, I hope to move sometime, but the Lord hasn't opened that door yet. Anyways, I grew up in a, in a family that was uh, broken by sin very early on. My dad was an alcoholic, and uh, before I was three, my parents were divorced. Now, some of you come from a potentially similar or same situation, and that is tough really tough to grow up in that. Uh, my mom then was a single parent. Uh, she sometimes worked up to three jobs to take care of us. She worked in a factory for a handful of years uh, and, and she packed boxes and moved them. And at one point, uh, I told all my friends that they probably wouldn't beat my mom at an arm wrestling match because her muscles were so big. And that was a pretty proud thing that I had, uh, was able to say about my mom. When I became a teenager, I, I was very rebellious. And again, as the introduction mentioned, uh, I, I enjoyed sinning boldly. I didn't know really what sin was, and I didn't really care that there was any sort of consequences to it. It was enjoyable, because I didn't know about the love of God. Uh, being in a small town, you can be everything to everyone, and I was, and so I was in sports, but I was also partying, and then I was hanging out with this group and over there, and. And I could just do whatever I wanted, especially in that uh, household. Not because my mom didn't care for me and she didn't try her best, but because I just rebelled and I wanted to go do whatever I wanted to do. And there's a, there's a, a line in Judges that talks about how they did what was right in their own eyes. And that was my childhood. I did whatever I wanted to do. Post high school, no supervision at all. Not one bit. And I know a lot of you are there and and you're exploring what it's like to, to be in the world, to have responsibilities. For me, I, I chose poorly on a lot of things. I chose a lot of things that were hurtful uh, to myself, to my family, to the people around me. Uh, I tried going to school, that didn't work right away. Uh, got more and more into drugs and partying, because it was fun. So why not? There were a lot of broken relationships that came because of that. In 2004, I was living in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I, I got to spend a weekend in jail. 
and this is in April, and I say that intentionally, I got to spend the weekend in jail. It was horrible because it was beautiful outside, and I was in this huge room with about 20 other men that I thought were just a bunch of punks. And I'm like, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. And uh, I just kept thinking very negatively about them and how I was so amazing, and yet there I was with them. And uh, there was a small little rack of books, and I didn't want to interact with anybody, so I went and I was looking through the books, and there was a book there called Why Believe by Greg Laurie. And uh, I read through that, and uh, that was the first step that, that God used in, in saving me. I know he had been working in my life before that, but that's when it happened, where he said, you're, you're done with this lifestyle that you chose. Now it's time to follow me. And so I'd highly recommend it. I still actually have the copy. I'm not going to lend it to you, though, because when you lend out books, they never get brought back to you. But I'd highly recommend it for anybody who's seeking and trying to understand Christianity. So what is sin? What is sin? Like I said, I love talking about it. I love better understanding sin. And I'll tell you a little bit more later why. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Genesis 1. Um, if you're like me and mostly just use a, a, an iPhone or an iPad or something like that, Genesis 1 is right in the beginning. It's not that hard to find. It's, I mean, you open it up, you should be able to find it pretty quick. Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. And we know the story, right? God creates, and it's beautiful. And after the creation, right, he, he keeps on saying what phrase? Anybody? Say, I'm sorry, do we need more coffee? What is it? It was good. He saw it, and it was good. And he says it six times. And then... He says, let us make man in our image. And so here comes what I think is kind of the culmination of all of his creation. He's very proud of it. And then what does he say? Over all of creation, it is very good. I don't think you can. Can you have coffee in here? Is that okay? Because I think you need it. Um, it's okay to interact. Thank you. Just because I have the microphone doesn't mean you can't talk. I'm totally cool with that. So then what happens after that? Uh, the, the man and the woman were told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. And then here comes chapter 3. Not good. Serpent comes in, and uh, verse 1, it says that he was more crafty than any other beast that the Lord had made. And what happens here is twofold. He, he questions truth. You see this in, in verse 1. He says, did God really say that you couldn't have this? And then the second thing is that he, he twists the image. Because in verse 5, he says, if you do this, you will be like God. So he questions truth, the truth that we know about God, the, the one command that we see written in Scripture. And then he distorts or twists what their image is supposed to be. So the woman, it says in verse 6, saw that, well, hold on, let's be very clear. I'm going to talk about man and woman here, so I'm not, I'm not throwing women under the bus. It's not your fault, I promise you that. But it says, verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delight to the eyes, and was to be desired to make one wise. And when I read that, I go, well, what's wrong with that? Well, we know what's wrong with that. God said, don't eat that. And then what does it say? For those of you who are looking, what, what was the man doing the whole time? Nothing. He was there with her. He did nothing. Um, 
watching ESPN or something. I don't, I don't know. But um, he did nothing. And that, 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 uh, that's a convicting thing for me as someone who's married. Uh, I can't do that. Uh, that. This isn't a marriage seminar. We're going to keep going. So it, it's just very discouraging uh, <laughs> that the man was with her and did nothing the whole time. So then what happens after that? They heard the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from his presence. There's a great indicator right there of what sin is. Trying to hide yourself from God's presence. And then the next part here in verse 9 is, on one hand, hilarious, and on the other hand, it's just extremely sad. Because the, the Lord God says, where are you? And how, how ridiculous is that? He knew exactly where they were. It's like me playing hide-and-seek with my kids. I know where they are. They can't outsmart me. I'm awesome at that game. <laughs> Side note, don't play. I'll beat you. Um, so it's funny on the one hand, but then on the other hand, it's, it's extremely sad because they're hiding, because they're ashamed. Uh, but he still says, where are you? And that's beautiful because he says, I love you. This is, I want to move towards you. And so quick pause right here. If you have any sort of shame in your life, if you're ashamed of anything at all, know that God does that same thing to you, okay? Moving on. So it says that they were naked and ashamed, and what happens? Their immediate response, and I'm, I'm really good at this, I, they blame people. How quick are we to blame people? And so uh, the man says, the woman, okay, starts with blaming the woman, who you put here with me, and so then he also blames God, for what just happened, those, those are two people you just don't ever want to blame. Just uh, write that down. Tweet it or whatever you do with it. Um, and then the woman says, the serpent deceived me. So both man and woman are just blaming other things. They're not taking any ownership for the mistake, for the sin that they committed. So what we see is beauty to brokenness. All of God's very good creation is now fractured. I don't believe that there is anything that is not touched by this brokenness. Relationships, our world, everything I think is broken. And it starts right there. So we see a curse come in. The serpent is cursed. Uh, the woman is cursed. Uh, the man is cursed. Death is now in entered into the world. And then they're banished from the garden. And I think that's the one that stings the most for them. And they have to walk away from being able to walk with the Lord. So now if you want to flip over to the New Testament, here's my other kind of go-to passage when I, when I want to talk about sin and try to unpack what it is. Romans 1, verses 18 to 25, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is really cheerful, right? Um, verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, he, that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not, one, honor him as God, and number two, give thanks to him. If you want to just pause there and think about that, that's a, another big thing to take away about sin. You're not honoring God and you're not thankful to him. Carrying on in 21, it says, Instead, they became futile in their thinking, 
foolish in their hearts, and they were darkened, and they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. 23, here's the big one. They exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 24, therefore, and this should terrify everybody in this room, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I love how Paul just goes on rants and all of a sudden he's just preaching and then he's, oh yeah, amen, and now what am I doing? Okay, I'll carry on. That's most of his writing. There's a book uh, called Look and Live um, that talks about the awe of God uh, in light of who Christ is. And he says something that I really appreciate in regards to thinking about sin. He says, what makes sin so evil is not the ugliness of the act itself, but who the act is against. And then John Owen, you guys read John Owen here? Does anybody know John Owen? We got one? Okay. Uh, I'll talk to whoever's in charge of the accurate books to read here. Um, that's a joke. I don't, I have no control or authority. But I'd highly recommend The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Uh, he was a Puritan. Uh, the reading can be a little bit uh, tough sledding, but I, I can't uh, stress it enough in how much it will help you appreciate grace in light of better understanding sin. I'm going to do a, a short quote here and then a longer quote later. But he says, we must hate all sin as sin and not just that which troubles us. If we seek to overcome sin only because it troubles us, then that proceeds from self-love. Judging sin's guilt and shame only in terms that affect our interests is a failure to hate sin for what it truly is, a serious offense against God. So, I agree, amen. Thank you, Paul. Oh, wait, no, that's, sorry. I just called you the Apostle Paul. That's a good thing. Um, so, now the question now, we've looked at it, what sin is and what it did from Genesis 1 to 3, and then Romans 1. So, what do we do with it? That, that needs to be our question. Well, I think we need to better understand sin just a little bit better first. If you go to Ephesians 2, you can just listen to it if you want. I'll, I'll share it here. Ephesians 2, verses 2 to 3, it says, You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And there are three areas specifically that are addressed in regards to, to sin's tactics, I'll call them. First, it talks about the world. Then it also talks about uh, the power of the air, which is the devil. And then it also talks about the passions of our flesh. So the world, the flesh, and the devil are the three ways that I see scripture talking about how sin tries to attack us. So number one, there's, you can go to different scripture, but the world, it's creation, it's culture, it's people. And, and, and 1 John 2 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. And we've got to be careful because John talks about the world in three different ways. And this one, he's talking specifically how the world can tempt us to do things. The second one is flesh. There's both our sinful nature that we saw come out of uh, Genesis 1. And then if you look in Romans 7, uh, I'll read a quick passage here. Verses 15 to 18, Paul says, 
I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, that it is good. So, no, so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. He's just very confused. But ultimately, he has this war going on within himself. Then there's also sinful desires, and we see that in Galatians 5. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, through, uh, but instead love one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Lastly, the devil. Now, the devil is uh, crafty, as we found out earlier. He's also, I think, um, portrayed very poorly through entertainment. I think we have a poor view or maybe a misunderstood view of, of who he is and what he does. But at the very least, we can say that he looks to devour. And so that comes from 1 Peter 5.8. And he's also blinding unbelievers. And that comes from 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And that specifically says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And at Hope, we, we talk about one thing, and, and quick side tangent here. We use a phrase that says, you can't expect regenerate behavior from unregenerate people. Regenerate is what the Spirit does. It regenerates us. It, it's, it makes us new. And if you have somebody in your life who is not a believer, do not expect regenerate behavior from them because the spirit of God is not working in them. Sorry, quick sidetrack. I'm not sorry. Not really. It's, it's okay. All right. One last thing I want to share. So we talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And now, kind of what I would say is like an umbrella that covers it all is deception. And deception is a funny word because we think we understand when we're being deceived, but that's the opposite of what it actually means. We don't actually know when we're deceived, right? I think it's only through other people, the fellowship of believers, or the Spirit of God that, that can help us to see that we're being deceived. And so Hebrews 3 says, exhort one another daily as long as it call, is called today, so that why none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I love movies, and there's a movie from 1995 called The Usual Suspects. Anybody? Anybody? A few of you. Uh, it's maybe not appropriate for Christians to watch, so don't. But um, the, the, the plot of the story, it's R-rated. I don't know if that's acceptable here. So I watched it pre-Jesus. It was okay then. I'm just using it as a reference now. You're going to get, you're, I'm actually going to ruin the story, so if you haven't seen it, you don't need to. It's all about uh, these men who um, decide to, to um, do this robbery of some sorts. And then what happens is kind of the ringleader of that group, Kaiser Sose, uh, gets payback to each one of them because they all wronged him in some way, shape, or form. So the whole movie is this all getting played out, but they're all in the police station and they're trying to give their story and they're trying to get out of it and all that stuff. And at the very end, you find out this, this like mastermind is actually one of the five guys. And it's just, it's one of those, just your jaw just drops to the floor. And the line that I absolutely love from this movie is this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. It's so true. I believe that we live in a world and we don't believe that the devil lives here, that he has some sort of influence or power. He totally does. So I love the song, Come Thou Fount. 
Specifically, there's a line in there that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I need you to recognize that the, the world that we live in is trying to take us away from God. D.A. Carson has a, has a great saying about grace-driven effort. He says, we don't drift towards holiness. Apart from this grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. And it goes on. I'd, I'd recommend you look that up. I'm running short on time, though. Still an end. Okay, we have a decent understanding of what sin is from scripture. I hope that we have a little bit of understanding of how it's trying to get at us. So then really is, how do we take care of this? What do we do about it? And there's two main areas that I want to look at. I want to look at how we tend and weed. Any gardeners in the room? I try to be. I try to be a green thumb, but it tends to go black really quick. So we're going to tend and weed, but then we're also going to look at disciplines and habits. First, in Romans 8, verses uh, 11 to 13, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, so then, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Uh, verse 13, for if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if you live, uh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Let me say verse 13 again there. The second half specifically. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So again, going back to my friend John Owen, um, he has that book, Mortification of Sin. There's a line in there where he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And to be able to do that well, to be able to, to fight something, you need to know it. Uh, and I need you to understand that your enemy knows you. And if you don't know your enemy, it's going to be a one-sided battle. So I'm going to just read this this longer section here but it's it's beautiful bear with me again the the language is a few hundred years old but it's 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 wonderful the holy spirit works in us and with us not against us or without us so that his assistance is an encouragement as to the facilitating of the work and no occasion of neglect as to the work itself so he's basically just saying work with the spirit here and actually i'm just going to pause there and just go we work from grace. Grace has been extended to us. We don't work for grace. We don't, we're not working to try to achieve anything here. God has done this work in our lives, and now we get to respond by working with God. So Romans 5.8, anybody, anybody uh, memorize scripture here? Ooh, it's very silent. We should get a class going on that. Romans 5.8, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't forget that ever. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in light of that, and in light of the, the reality that, that the Holy Spirit was left here so that we can fight sin and honor God, we ought to work towards these disciplines and habits. And the three that I really want to push you towards, and it's nothing new, it's nothing fancy, I'm not going to write a book and make millions off of it, it's prayer, it's fellowship, and it's being in the Word of God. It may not seem like those are adequate, but that's what God wants in his relationship. We get to know him in those three ways. So all of that leads up now to the title of my talk, What is the Work of Ministry? And to me, that comes from Ephesians 4.12, and it says, uh, 
verse 11 talks about these gifts that are given, and verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what I believe that the work of ministry is, is all about building up the body of Christ, and how that's done is through the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is what ministry is all about. If you're in a ministry track here, that's your definition of ministry, I would say. It's not this specific thing or that specific thing. I, I'm not against any of the things. Those are all wonderful, and God has gifted you accordingly. But if, if you want to get into ministry, this is what it's all about. And as a matter of fact, if you're not in a ministry track and you're a Christian, I hope everybody would raise their hand to that here, this is your job as well. Because I believe that the church is called to equip all of you to be the saints to do this ministry. And so whatever you do, it should fall under uh, building up the body of the Christ, uh, the body of Christ for unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And I just want to share just with the last couple minutes that I have here, uh, at Hope Community Church, my job ultimately is to help others to love God and love neighbor. Uh, it was referenced that there's a leadership development program that I help oversee there. We have a full-time and part-time internship there. And then also Redemption of the City. And that's my way of trying to help others to get out to know the city, love the city, and serve the city. And so specifically, uh, about five months ago, I, you know, we found out that the Super Bowl is coming to town. And we said, well, what should we do? We have two church buildings one block from the stadium. And there were multiple things that we could have done, but ultimately we partnered with the Minneapolis Police Department and Source, which uh, you may have heard from Laura yesterday or you could hear from her tomorrow. We love the work that they're doing, especially with anti-trafficking. And so I said, what can we do to help you, to help the police and Source to do their jobs better? And so what we decided was to provide a warm and welcoming place for those who are exploited in our community. I know that we can do that. And what ended up happening is for seven days, we were open 24-7 with 20 emergency beds, enough food to feed 50 people each meal each day from freezer meals and restaurants, and then we also provided hygiene and winter kits, a warm and welcoming place for those who are explo exploited in our community. So what happened, far beyond what I had anticipated, was over 40 churches got involved, 200 volunteers and donations, and over $10,000 was donated to make that a reality. And the question now that people are asking me is, was it worth it? Did, did you meet your goal? How many women were there? And I'm not going to tell anybody how many women were there because that wasn't my goal. And I don't have any control over the hearts of other people to make that decision. But to me, we, we far exceeded our goal to provide that warm and welcoming space. Because no matter what, whether it was one person or a hundred person that came through those doors, it was a win. It was a win to me. So, gospel application, I'm going to just use your three things that uh, the Christ-centered, transformation-focused, and community-oriented. Number one, Christ-centered, know the reality of this world and how much your Creator loves you. Can't underestimate that. It's a dark and broken world, but God is bigger than that. Transformation-focused, consider what ministry is and is not. I know I didn't spend much time on it, but find results or wins in, in God's wisdom. Not in stats or numbers or, or things like that. Lastly, community-oriented. Know that you can make a difference where you're at. And we are far better, when we, and far better and stronger when we work together. Let me pray. Lord, the, the reality of, of this broken world is hard to process and it's difficult. But Lord, 
you invite us to better understand this world. And so, Lord, I would ask that you would help us to understand sin and that it's not done. It's going to continue to attack us all the days of our lives. So, Lord, by your spirit, help us to put to death the deeds of the body so that we will live, so that we can honor you and love others better. In Jesus' name, amen.